everyone, this is a Barclay Damon live broadcast. You're listening to The Cannabis Counselor and I'm your host, Elise Bergio. Let's get into it. What's up everybody? This is episode 13 of The Cannabis Counselor and today we're gonna be talking with Paul Efstrom, the owner and operator of Wheatfield Gardens, which is a current hemp operation here in New York State with a large production facility that is looking to transfer over into the adult use space. Stay tuned. Hi, Paul. Thanks so much for joining us for the Cannabis Counselor. Uh, this is episode 13, and we're going to be talking today just about uh, hemp infrastructure and transferring over into adult use. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Elise. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, for those who are listening, Paul has been a long-standing client of Barclay Damon, and we have really been blessed to find such a really important operator here in Buffalo, New York for the hemp space. Paul, do you mind telling everybody kind of the operation that you currently have in Niagara Wheatfield? Yeah, so we, we operate a uh, commercial scale greenhouse here. And uh, initially the, the facility was, was built to grow tomatoes and cucumbers. But since our, since I came in and uh, took it over, we've kind of uh, shifted to more high value crops. And one of those crops is is has been industrial hemp uh, for and now cannabinoid hemp with the new laws that are in place. But we also grow food here too. So we're a food safe facility where we produce lettuces and uh, culinary herbs for the local market here in Western New York. How did you get into the hemp space? Well, we were, uh, I've been interested in controlled environment technology since, uh, controlled environment agriculture since 2015. Uh, as well before the hemp and cannabis craze we're seeing today. Um, and we were, my group of investors was interested in, on the food production side, looking at high value crops like uh, lettuces, herbs, strawberries, blackberries, things like that. Um, but then, you know, it was a pleasant surprise in 2017 when the governor um, opened up the industrial hemp research pilot program to, to people like me, farmers like us here. So of course we took we we always look for chances to find high value crops and it was you know kind of just another one of those that had the potential to be a high value crop. So we took on the challenge and became a research partner and did some really interesting controlled environment uh, research on industrial hemp, uh, specifically around the cannabinoid, uh, not the fiber and grain kind that a lot of people uh, think about, but we we looked at the CBD and some of the minor cannabinoids as potential high value crop. That's, that's an interesting component. So obviously you've probably had some difficulty with the fact that federal regulations and state regulations sometimes just don't overlap. And it's kind of this push and pull for uh, where to turn your head. Um, so what have you found that New York's regulations have been a little bit more operator friendly um, in the state of New York? Or how would you describe your, your uh, operations? Yeah, I think, you know, at first I was just shocked that all we had that we applied and um, you know we paid our five hundred dollar uh, fee and we we got a license. I've heard nightmare stories about people trying to get permits to grow this plant. So you know I was pleasantly surprised by that. And then you know we've been working with ag and markets for a long time on the food side, and we were proud to be uh, part of the Grown in New York program on our food side. So we had a pretty good relationship with ag and markets to begin with. And um, so, you know, we didn't really experience too much, but, you know, it is a little bit now that we've gotten the cannabis law passed and they kind of put the cannabinoid hemp in with it. It's a little more difficult to get answers. Like, you know, we've the law, the 
cannabinoid hemp law passed over a year ago, and we still have yet to be given any concrete guidance on it. So it's really difficult to operate in that market. So, you know, we're kind of holding on here, but, you know, for, for the most part, Agamarkets markets was great to deal with. Um, we had no issues with testing and things like that for the last three years we've been growing hemp here. So. Yeah, it's super interesting. Just for those who are listening for Paul and I, the, the, the reason Paul was able to operate in the New York space is because of this research pilot program that happened in the federal level, um, which gave states the opportunity to test out production and processing within their state for hemp products. Um, and so New York state specifically was a $500 application fee to do either. Um, but then things started changing up quite a bit. New York was supposed to uh, submit a new state plan to the federal government to continue their hemp plan, but they didn't. And so, um, you know, there's an expiration date for this research pilot program, which will end on September uh, of this year. And so now, as Paul was saying, things have been switched up. We now have this new Office of Cannabis Management, which we've talked about in previous episodes, that's kind of governing hemp, medical marijuana, and anticipated adult use. And so there isn't necessarily that um, one-on-one connection just yet. Hopefully, we will see that as it gets a little bit more vetted out and more people are brought on board. But um, right now, as a hemp operator, you're probably feeling like a little push and pull between Department of Health, Department of Ag, and and now this new OCM office, right? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of why your phone rings all the time with me calling you. So <laughs> <laughs> trying to get answers. You know, we really want to start processing and be a, a resource for the farmers out here where they can preserve their cannabinoids in oil form. So we're, we're you know, trying to, uh, you know, get our processing uh, facility up and running, but we just, you know, it's very hard when you don't get any concrete direction from the, the governing body on what, what's going to be allowed and what's not. And I understand the federal, this whole confusion about federal, because, you know, I lived it last year when we thought we were going to be in the federal program. I went out, had to get a background check and mm-hmm. all of this yep. stuff and apply to, the, to that. And then all of a sudden we find out we're going to be ag and markets again. So it was like a uh, it's kind of really kind of frustrating, but I get it. They're setting up an entire new um, office. So this is going to take time. So um, as much as I want it to happen quickly, I understand that this is going to take time. So trying to be patient, but. Absolutely. So, you know, before we get into you transferring possibly over into the adult use space from your hemp operation, let's talk currently on how, it t- what it takes to really run a hemp operation. You know, there's a real big emphasis on energy, waste, um, and water supply when we talk about hemp or marijuana. Have you, how has Wheatfield Gardens kind of tackled those three big issues um, since you have have had your license? Yeah, so uh, sustainability and energy efficiency has been at the heart of what we've been doing here for years now. We've done several studies uh, with NYSERDA about this uh, issue because it's becoming a real issue across the United States as more states legalize the energy impact of indoor cultivation is coming to the forefront. I saw uh, some study out of Colorado that said that almost 3% of all the electricity generated went towards the cultivation of cannabis. So it's it's a real issue. So we try to just, um, you know, do, do meaningful studies here that can point people in the right direction when they're choosing equipment, whether it's LED lights, 
or their HVAC system, just novel approaches to cultivation that, that are more, more sustainable, that use less water, use less energy and create less waste. So we have a number of initiatives that are going from, from you know, composting to, to uh, on-site energy production, which we're pioneering here at Whitfield Gardens, where we're producing our own electricity on-site and then using the byproducts that come with that to help the cultivation process with, uh, with regard to a lot of heat is generated with on-site production. So we take that heat and we use it appropriately in the greenhouse. And then we also use the CO2 that comes along with the combustion of natural gas. And we're able to capture it and clean it and then almost sequester it. And it actually is very beneficial to the plants. They grow a lot faster in the presence of CO2. So we're really trying to be the, you know, the beacon for people to look to, to say, all right, this is how you can be more efficient in your grow. So I think it's gonna be a real issue. And I think there will be uh, language in the, in the law that addresses this, because I know I'm pretty sure it was in the Massachusetts law that they had a certain energy uh, requirement that you know made them look for solutions like this. So. Absolutely, I know there's a few bills that have been entered into through the finance committee just in New York State so far, but I think they're they're really going to probably wait till the rules and regulations come out to really try and see what I think the best effective solution would be, especially given the fact that New York is such a green state, right? Like they've created all these New York energy initiatives and this would be definitely a, a kind of a drop uh, of explosion I think in the energy sector especially given that they're estimated that we would be the second largest cannabis uh, adult use state in the country um, kind of transferring us over into adult use it's interesting for hemp uh, farmers right now I know there's a lot of lobbying efforts that have been going on about the fact that nothing in this legislation really gives any preferential treatment to existing hemp operators other than this possible exception or, or qualification in the social equity component, which is being a distressed farmer, which I think uh, a hemp farmer could definitely argue that point 2020, they were definitely distressed, right? Um, do you foresee, uh, just based off the groups that you're a part of, more lobbying efforts to, to kind of argue the point that the hemp infrastructure is already in place and it'd be very easy to transition to an adult use capacity, given the fact that you're kind of already set up for it? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of us hemp growers have been growing the cousin of the adult use cannabis plant for years now. So we have, we have a, an expertise in it. Um, yeah, and you know, with the, with the CBD market being what it is in the pandemic, there's uh, a, a plenty of distress to go around to the 500 farmers out here. Um, yeah, I, I just think that in other states, and it remains to be seen whether or not this crop can be, you know, whether or not adult use cannabis can be grown out truly outdoors like it is in, in California. I know there's no outdoor growing in Massachusetts or, mm -hmm. you know, we just have a different climate here. So I think it's going to be very difficult for outdoor growers to pass the, the testing requirements that are going to be required. I think a lot of microbial and mycotoxin testing like they have in California really uh, puts you at a great risk unless you're, that's why most people do it in controlled environments. So yeah, the humidity, the expertise, uh, some of the best growers I've ever met in my life are the hemp growers in New York state. So the expertise is there. It's just a matter of, you know, you just, you, you have a lot of things out of your control when you're, you're farming truly outdoors. So, um, I'm anxious to see what happens, but it's a very risky proposition, in my opinion. 
I agree. I also think our humidity and just moisture is just really not conducive for, for outdoor growing. Um, now, if you don't necessarily qualify for a social equity applicant, how do you intend to bring social equity principles to your business um, to kind of, uh, you know, go along with the lines of the mission of the bill, which is for an inclusive process for those in communities who are disproportionately impacted? What is Weedfield Gardens doing to kind of move that momentum uh, and your your operation that way? Yeah, I mean, that's been our, our one of our, our, you know, our investor group is kind of a um, you know, really looking at this from not just the, you know, an ability to make a profit type of thing. We really have uh, several bottom lines that we look to and, you know, uh, social, social equity, along with the sustainability that I talked about earlier, two of our main goals, besides being a profitable entity. And, you know, we've been doing it for years already, where we really uh, work with our community to try and, um, you know, create jobs for these that are uh, good paying year-round jobs for these communities that have been uh, uh, affected by, um, you know, one thing or another that they're uh, disadvantaged. So several of our employees are from East Buffalo, which is exactly ground zero for these kind of uh, communities that have been, you know, the, the citizens of these communities have been persecuted for possessing a plant. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. So, you know, our what we envision here is to be this kind of social equity incubator that we can teach people the skills that it takes to cultivate cannabis. And then these people can take these skills and form their own uh, micro business where they take these uh, skills of, of cultivating and then find a place in East Buffalo somewhere that has good electrical power and a good possible site to have a small grow. And then they're equipped to, to start the business. And then, you know, they can take what they learned here and really leverage it to be their own kind of success story. So that's what I'm most excited about is the opportunity to be this kind of incubator for entrepreneurs that, um, you know, because the bill is just so well written when it comes to that, where they're going to provide not only, you know, these opportunities in a kind of either mentoring or a incubator program, but also the capital it's going to take to start these businesses. So it's going to be amazing. And I just want to be a part of it because my passion is, is around education. We work with Cornell. We do a ton of work with their controlled environment agriculture school. And then we also just locally here with the Niagara County Community College, um, we've been hosting, uh, right now we have three interns from the horticulture program at NCCC that are learning the skills of controlled environment ag agriculture, both on the food side and then also on the cannabis side, these are gonna be the jobs of the future. These are gonna be the six figure jobs that uh, we can keep here in Western New York when we have these, this workforce that is dedicated to you know, cultivating uh, you know, medicine and, and food to the highest level. So I'm really excited about that. That's what I'm really passionate about. Yeah, that's so interesting you say that about keeping jobs in, in the area of which we're, we're really bringing in production and processing because you know, and I've talked actually just with different localities recently, and, and we've had a similar discussion, which is, you know, the retail stores are going to be great, right? It's going to get the product to consumer. But in terms of this 3.5 billion generation of, of uh, revenue for the state, that's going to come from jobs. That's going to come from an expansion of the economy. And you see that very much so in the production and the processing side of things, because the, the amount of employees it takes to get these, you know, these facilities up and running are much more significant than say the retail stores. Um, and so 
you know, our bill allows for such that you can't opt out of a production or processing facility in your locality. You can really only opt out of a retail or an on-site consumption lounge. And so um, that right there is going to be a really nice opportunity for people to bring more wealth to their to their locality with new jobs and new opportunities and hopefully a, a nice boost there. But Paul, thanks so much for, for hopping on. Um, everyone, you've been listening to episode 13. Thank you, Paul Efstrom. And we will check back soon. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye, Paul. The Cannabis Counselor Podcast is available on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Like, follow, share, and continue to listen. Thanks.